The following is a sermon from the Vicar and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Do we have any tennis fans out there? Anybody who watches tennis knows anything about tennis? Chris? All right, Chris. Nobody else? All right. Y'all live in New York City. You should watch a little more tennis. The, the U.S. Open's right there, Corona Flushing Meadows Park, right over there. Um, did you guys at least hear a little bit about the storyline? A little bit about Novak Djokovic? Seeing a lot of blank stares. All right, I'll tell the story. So Novak Djokovic right now is the number one tennis player in the world. And this past fall, he had the opportunity to seal himself as the greatest player of all time. In addition to that, he had the opportunity to do something nobody has done since 1969, and that's win the calendar Grand Slam. That's to win Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, uh, the French Open, the Australian Open, all in one year. So this is a big deal and celebrities were coming, but there was one person in the crowd for the entire U.S. Open that was a little more important than the rest. And that was Rod Laver, the last guy to win the calendar Grand Slam in 1969. And it was more fun than watching the tennis. And don't get me, the tennis was good. I love tennis. But more fun than watching the game was trying to look at Rod Laver's stoic, wrinkled face to see, try to get a hint if he was cheering for Djokovic or not. I mean, would you cheer for Djokovic if you were Rod Laver? Would you cheer for the guy who was trying to make what you did years ago a little less impressive, a little less glorious? Would you cheer for that guy? Well, luckily for Rod Laver, it didn't really matter because Djokovic came up to the last match and he choked bad. He, he lost really badly and right before the last game of the last match he broke down just sobbing just sobbing right in the court and as embarrassing as it was I think we can all relate to that feeling we may not be crying in front of millions of people but we know how it feels to see glory an opportunity slip right before our hands. And it feels bad. Glory is a pretty hard thing to come by. You can ask Djokovic about it. And it's not even something that once you find glory, it's not like glory just stays with you. I mean, Rod Laver, years later, is looking at it, seeing someone trying to steal what he had once earned. Glory is not something that's easy to find. God's word for us today has three tips for us to find real glory. This is the type of glory that doesn't leave you sobbing on a court or uncomfortable in your chair wondering if someone's going to steal it for you, from you, but real glory. 
Let's read from Mark 10. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Listen for the three tips God gives us about finding glory. Stop looking in the wrong place. Take a hint from Jesus and mirror Jesus' glory. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. What did James and John do wrong? I mean, I know you know that there's something wrong with what they did, something wrong in the picture, but can you put your finger on what it is? Is it the bold question right at the gates? We want you to do for us whatever we ask, whatever we ask. What a bold question. But is that the problem? I don't think so. I think I think Jesus actually teaches us to pray with boldness. So I don't think that's necessarily the issue. So is it, is it the next thing? Is it that they asked to be close to Jesus? That they wanted to be close to Jesus in glory? I don't think that's the problem either. I think that's faith. We all want to be close to Jesus in glory. So what's the problem? What's the problem with what James and John did? You know that something is wrong in the picture. Isn't it that they were trying to find their own glory and comparing themselves to others? I mean, when they asked to be at Jesus' left and right in glory, that was saying that the other 10 would just be a little further removed, a little less important, a little less powerful than they were. And we humans are pretty, pretty quick to pick up on this. If someone's trying to, to push us out of the way or, or make us a stare for themselves, 
It's like an alarm goes off on our head immediately. And this is what happened with the disciples too. The disciples, Mark says, they became indignant with James and John. They became indignant. And indignant is kind of a, a, big, a bigger word. So let's put it this way. If you're walking down the street and you're just walking by yourself, someone randomly comes and pushes you to the ground for no reason. You might be mad. You'd be probably really mad. Now you're walking down the street with your sweet grandma of 90 years who can barely walk, and you're walking her down slowly. As comes and pushes her to the ground, you're going to be indignant. You're going to be indignant because it's an anger about something that's unjust. It's unworthy. It shouldn't happen. And that's how Mark describes the anger that, that the disciples were feeling, that they were indignant. It was like they pushed their old sweet grandma to the ground. What made the disciples feel that type of anger, that it was unjust? Isn't it that they too thought they deserved those spots of glory. They wouldn't have been so bold to say it, but deep in their hearts, they thought that they deserved it too. What set off your alarm this week? I mean, it's happened to us too. People are trying to use us as a stare. So what, what set off your alarm saying that someone was, gonna, was trying to use you to promote themselves. Maybe, maybe you felt it when, um, when your coworker kind of threw you under the bus. Maybe you felt it when, when your, your son gave glory to your, to her, his wife's cooking instead of your own. Maybe you felt it when, when someone told you that they know more about the political world going on right now. We all have had times where people try to step on us and it sets our alarm off. We become indignant too. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows our hearts are full of pride and that we all want our own glory. But thankfully, Jesus is gentle. Thankfully, Jesus is gentle with, with James and John. He's also gentle with us. Instead of just, just reaming James and John to the applause of the disciples, he gently guides them from their misconception of glory to find real glory. So let's take a hint from Jesus. Let's, let's see what he and how he guides James and John to real glory. The first real big hint from Jesus in finding real glory comes from his response to their question. They ask to be at this left and right, and Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. I mean, James and John, you, you think you want to be next to me 
And Gloria, you want to be at my right and left? You don't know what you're asking. That's the first hint. The second hint comes from what Jesus says following that. He says, can you drink the cup I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Those are some strange questions coming from Jesus. Like, what cup is he talking about? And why is he asking the disciples if they could be baptized again? Like, the disciples were already baptized at that point. Well, first, let's talk about the cup. The way cup is used in Mark metaphorically like this is about an allotment, a portion, a a cup full of suffering, like, like a dry wine that one has to drink. It's what's set before them. And the next time we hear this word in Mark, it's, it's in John and it's saying, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yeah, not as I will, but as you will. Can you drink this cup I'm going to drink? Can you suffer like I'm about to suffer, James and John? You want my glory? Can you do that? And then the baptism? What's the baptism about? Well, it's a baptism of blood. Jesus is talking about his death here. You want my glory, James and John? Can you suffer like I'm going to suffer? Can you die like I'm going to die? And what do James and John say to that? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And Jesus says, yes, you will. You actually will. In a way. But for me to give a position at my left or right is not for me to give, but for those for whom it has been appointed. Take a hint from Jesus. We're looking in the wrong place for glory. James and John were looking for the wrong, in the wrong place for glory. Where were those spots that James and John were asking for? What is Jesus leading them to? Those spots would one day be filled by a thief and a mocker. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about his glory that they wanted to be at the left and right hand of Jesus. Jesus says, really, you want that? Then join me on the cross. You don't know what you're asking. Doesn't that blow your mind? James and John ask for Jesus' glory. And Jesus says, here's my cross. That's what Jesus describes as God's glory. And doesn't that blow you away? That God himself describes that his greatest feat, that the way he wants you to be, wants him to be seen as great is that he saved you. That's how much he loves you, that he calls saving you his glory on the cross. 
Why do we need the appreciation of our friends? Why do we need to be seen as better than others when our God sees saving us as his glory? That's how highly God thinks of you. Take a hint from Jesus. Our glory, his glory, is found on the cross. So Jesus has given us this glory, his glory found on the cross. And he says, here you go. Here is real glory. Now mirror it. Mirror my glory. And maybe we can see how well we've mirrored Jesus' glory by asking ourselves this question. What big questions have I been asking God? Have I been asking God for for healing so that others can see me as this big and powerful person, this important person that I used to be? Or am I asking God so that he can use me to serve others? Am I asking for this, this new job and promotion for my own glory, for for my own money? Or am I asking so that I can better serve God's kingdom in that position? And am I I so hung up on what this politician is going to do for me because it's going to bring earthly glory or heavenly glory? So easily we can fall back into looking at the wrong places for glory. But thanks be to our God, who's a gracious God, and gently guides us again and again back to his real glory. He gives us his glory and he says, can you serve like me? Can you be a servant like I was? Can you live your life as a service And maybe timidly, we like James and John say, yes, we can. And Jesus says, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Because I've given you real glory. I've given you real power. And this real power and real glory gives you the power, gives you the strength to live your life as a service to God. And that's real glory. So stop looking in the wrong place for glory. For even the Son of Man, in verse 45, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for the many. Stop looking for the, in the wrong place for your glory. Your glory is not in comparing yourselves to others. Take a hint from Jesus. Your glory is found on the cross. Mirror that glory. Serve willingly. Because this glory, it's not the type of glory that leaves you on a court sobbing. It's not the kind of glory that At the end of your life, you're going to be seated at a chair wondering if someone more important 
It's going to come by and steal it from you. This glory leaves us seated with Jesus. Left or right, it doesn't matter.